If you would, open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter number 1. As we say goodbye to 2022, I do it gladly. It was a challenging year. As we begin 2023 together, I'm hopeful and I'm excited and I'm glad to begin a new year. As we, the church, begin a new year together, I want to spend some time looking at the early church. We see the church in its beginnings here in the book of Acts. Those who have been with Jesus in Jerusalem just after his ascension into heaven, we, we, we recorded for us here their actions and the things that they did. From verse 13 and 14, we'll find that there's a variety of people that made up this first assembly of believers. There were men, there were women, there were some called apostles, and then I'm just going to call all everyone else the ordinary people. Are there any ordinary people in here this morning? I don't know about some of you. So, yeah, some of you are not quite ordinary. You think you are, but you're not. No, you are. There's even members of the Lord's earthly family recorded here. His mother is a part of this group. In verse number 15, we're told that there were about 120 people in this first gathering. And they come together to try to figure out what now. They've walked with Jesus, but now Jesus has ascended. So what are they to do? Where should they go? What, what, should, what should happen now? What's next? Anybody in here, you're a planner. You got to know the plan. You got to know what's going on. What are we doing? What's next? What's, what's supposed to happen? When is it supposed to happen? We have some in my home that are this way. And sometimes I don't like to be like that. I just kind of like seat in my pants. You know, this is what we're going. Where are we going? I don't know. We're just getting in the car. Why? To take a ride. To where? I don't know. If I go right, we're going right. If I go left, we're going left. Well, this is stupid. <laughs> but this early church, they, what were they to do? Who was to lead? How are they to do what it is that Jesus had left them to do? He, not only you think they'd left them without instruction, they'd been given instructions. Instructions, go and make disciples of all the nations. We're going to read here. Is they were told that just wait and you'll receive power. The Holy Spirit will come. He'll empower you to go and make disciples of all the nations. So here in the Acts of the Apostles, we find what the church should be and we find what the church should not be. Warren Wiersbe reminds us that the early church had none of the things that we think are so essential to success today for the church. They didn't have any buildings. They didn't have any money. They did not have any political influence. They didn't have social status. But still the church won multitudes to Christ and saw many churches established throughout the Roman world. Amazing. Further into Acts we read a testimony from an outsider about this earlier group of Christians. Acts chapter 17, verse 6 says, These that have turned the world upside down are come here also. What a great testimony for the early church. I was talking to Stephen and Liz Fox last night at the potato supper because they're just, you know, in the thick of deputation to go to the mission field. And it was just neat to hear some of the things that they were commenting about. And they said as they are hunting down churches to present their work to, that it's interesting to see like churches have great websites and churches that have bad websites and churches that have really good content on their website and churches that put some crazy stuff on their website. One of the things I thought about as they were talking about that was that every church has sort of this motto. What's the, y'all know our church's motto? Well, my kids know, yes. But some of you, yeah. I don't even know where that came from. It was here when I got here and I liked it. That's what we do here. We hold forth the word. We preach and teach and read and pray the word. We sing the word. We're all about the word. Well, this motto wasn't given to the early church on their own. They didn't say, oh, this would be good to put on our website. You know, like some churches put a friendly church. And then you go there, nobody will shake your hand. <laughs> you got to be careful what you put out there. Or it would be like if you came here and we just didn't get to the word today. We did a lot of other things, but we, you didn't have to use your Bibles. Well, how could we say we're a church that holds forth the word of life but this church was said of them they didn't say of themselves those who have turned the world upside down that was the the testimony given by the world to the early church it is what jesus set them out to do it is what the holy spirit empowered them to do and they lived and they died and this was what was said of them 
I long to be like that. I want us to consider this morning the early church and how things should look currently based off this in our gathering of the local church. And I'll give you three headings. We're going to look at some verses in chapter 1 and some verses in chapter number 2 to get these headings. The, the early church advanced. The early church prayed. The early church was Holy Spirit led. Let's pray and then we'll get to the word. Father, thank you for this time. Please bless it. Holy Spirit, work now as only you can through your word. Illuminate the word to us. Bring our minds to a comprehension of what you want it to be from these passages and help us to live by them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin reading in verse, chapter number 1, verse 9. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. That's Jesus. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. I love here that Jesus ascends. He tells them in verse 8, you're going to receive power. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. And then you're going to go be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up in a cloud. And, and it says not only that they, that they looked, but it says they looked steadfastly. You know, you, you, you're hunting for something. You're, you're anticipating something. I recently went deer hunting with Thomas. Thomas is 10. And Thomas and I both were geared to get a deer. We, we, were, we were hunting. And every few minutes, one of us would say, oh, something moved. And then we'd say, oh, it's just a leaf. Oh, something moved. Oh, it's just a squirrel. <laughs> but we were steadfastly looking toward these woods and this field, and we wanted to see a deer there. And these, this group here, they're steadfastly looking up into the heavens, so much so that as if God had to say, Gabriel, go, go back down there and tell them they can't just stand there and stare into the heavens for the rest of their lives. And this angel comes down and says, you're men of Galilee. Why do you stand here gazing into heaven? And, and in my mind, they're gazing like Charlie Brown in the Christmas choir. And the, the Charlie Brown, you know, they have their ha- mouth, mouth wide open. <laughs> this whole thing. They're just looking up into heaven and the angel says, go and wait. The spirit will come. You can't just stand here and gaze. As I think about this group, I think of myself and probably some more of us that are like this. You know the term from It's a Wonderful Life, moss back. Those who have a tendency to dwell, I for sure have a tendency to dwell in my recliner. I get in it and it's so comfortable. And there's usually Andy Griffith on the TV and sweet tea in my hands and I can just relax and take it in. This group had a tendency to dwell and our first heading this morning is that the church advances and so I say this as an accusation to us that we get things the way we like them and we, we like the way we have them and we don't want them to change. We just want to keep them. It's just perfect. It's cozy, it's warm, it's pretty. It's, it's whatever the things are that we think it should be. And we say, well, let's not mess it up. Let's just keep it just like this and let's never change. This early group, they had this same tendency to dwell, and God sent them direct communication. Go. You can't dwell. There's an eternity awaiting us so we can dwell, but now we've been given a task. We're ambassadors for the king. We've got to go and tell what we've seen and heard. I think of these people, though. They, they lived with Jesus. He came, he lived, he died. Now they see him go with their physical eyes. He, he ascends up into the clouds away from them. I think if there was ever a time that humans could probably justify just staying put, would be here at the Mount of Olives just saying, you know what, how much better can life get? We saw the resurrected Christ. We saw him ascend to heaven. We heard angels speak right here. We're just going to hang out. We're going to stay. What more could there really be to life? 
Now we know the rest of the story. Like we know chapter two, right? The Holy Spirit's going to come. And Jesus had already told them, I'm going to go away. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Because I'm going to go away, but I'll come back. And until I come back, I'm going to send you a comforter. Jesus actually said to them, in a sense, he'll, he'll be better for you than I am, which is hard to take in. But I imagine it would have been easy in this early group to say, let's just sit right here. Let's be content with what we've experienced. Let's look up and wait for Jesus. Sadly, I think this is often what the modern church tends to do. Once we get the seating situation like we want it. We used to have, no offense to anybody who bought these back in the day, but we used to have very uncomfortable pews. Now, I'm a big pew fan, but these were not comfortable pews. Mostly because they were probably made in 1950, and I was made in 1983. People got bigger between 1950 and 1983, I think, because these pews hit me about, you know, halfway between my knee and that other place back there. And just, I couldn't get comfortable in them. When I first came here, we said, we'll pad these pews. That'll make it better. Well, we padded these pews. And when we were being sold on the company that padded them, they said, you should put this lumbar support in there. We said, yeah, we should. It was only $300 more. We'll put the lumbar support in there, even more comfortable. Well, there was one big problem with this lumbar support we put in there, is it took away even less of the seat inches that we had some of you, I know, this wasn't a thing for you, but for me, I'm a pretty big guy. I hung off that pew even more. So I just like being in the pulpit and staying out of those pews. Well, it was a good day when we moved over here and we put out these chairs. Aren't these chairs nice? They're big and they're wide and they're comfy. Isn't the stained glass beautiful? The steeple looks good. Caleb's acres is getting, he's got some guys that are going to light it up. It'll be lit up for us soon. The sound guy's going to come. He's going to have the bells chiming again before we know it. Oh, it's just like we wanted it. Let's just keep it like this. Let's don't ever change it. That's our tendency. Now, is it wrong to get things just like we want them? No. But it is wrong is if we get it like this and because of the property, because of the aesthetic, we, we think, well, we've done what God wants us to do. No, this is what we wanted to do. What did God want us to do? Gather and worship Him. Now, does God mind if we get comfortable chairs for gathering to worship Him? No, because I think God intends there to be long-winded preaching. Just my personal interpretation. <laughs> so if you want to drink coffee and sit still in a comfortable... I got it, right? Does God mind that we have air conditioning? No. Bright lights? No. Screens that help us know what's going on? No, none of this, I don't, none of this is bad. What's bad is when we think this is the end all. The early church had none of this. And what was said about them? These people are turning the world upside down. The modern church has all of this. And what is said about them? Hmm. A lot of good things. The early church advanced. We've become a church who dwells. They returned to Jerusalem. They prayed. And they were ready when the Holy Spirit began to work. We've entered the time, especially in the American church, England had its heyday of this, Europe did, where we think we've been called of God to be church preservationists. And you know what happened in, in Europe because of the church preservationists? Most of their church property now are museums. There's no worship of God there. Now they could tell you about the great preachers who used to stand in those pulpits. But how dare you touch that pulpit? Some of you, that is, and I, I won't even just say some of you, some of us. I'm a traditionalist myself. I still wear the ties. I, li I love the stained glass. I like a big pulpit. Some of us, though, we've kind of taken that as our cross to bear in life. We're going to make sure that nobody, any newcomers, any crazy ideas the preacher gets, nobody's going to change what we think is right. Have you studied church history? There's always been a time where they decided this is right. And guess what? We're not doing it like they did it then. 
Brother Thomas, you've been a missionary for how long? 42 years. 42 years ago, when you left here and you went somewhere else, I'm sure you had it figured out exactly how it should be there. Yes, sir. Did, some people, did, some, did some people there help you learn how it was there and how things would be different there? It's a common thing missionaries encounter, I think. we got American culture, and we think we're going to go to other cultures and Americanize them for Jesus' sake. What we find there is Jesus comes to them in their culture and in their ways. We're not to be church preservationists. We're to be Bible believers and Bible doers. We're not to just be hearers of the word. We're to be doers of the word also. It's easier to be a hearer of the word and sort of an enforcer of the word as if you're God's sheriff and say, this is what's right and this is where we're going to stand and this is where we're going to be. And you're actually doing nothing at all. The early church was a church that advanced and, and we're to be a church that advances What does it look like from the church preservationist perspective? Everybody else is wrong but us. Does that sound familiar? It's easy to get that way. I don't want to be that way. You can can become a church that doesn't even know what you're for. You just know what you're against. You don't even know what you're doing. You just know what you're not doing. You say a lot of blessed gods. (laughs) Well, bless God, we're not going to do that. And bless God, we're not going to do this. I actually know what that means, but I know that's a term people say. To a church preservationist, everything that's new has got to be bad. If it's new, it can't be good. And I'm guilty. I'm preaching to myself here this morning. You've heard me say it. If it's new, it's not true. can't tell you what we're doing, but we know in three-point outline form the things that we're not going to do. God didn't call us to be this way. God called us rather to advance the church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he said, this is how I'm going to do it. He said, you go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the World, and you testify of a resurrected Christ that He's alive again. You make these disciples. The early church advanced. They did advance to Jerusalem and then Judea, then Samaria. We must be a church that advances. We have what this world needs. Would you affirm that this morning? Do you believe that we have what the world needs? Do you, have, do you, do you honestly believe that politically, sitting right here, we have the answer to America? And even Russia's political problems. I believe that. We have the solution to the health care problems. We have the solution to the economic problems. We have the solution to any problem that the world may face. You and I in here, Holy Spirit filled and Holy Spirit led people with the word of God as our book. We have the solution that they need. But I don't know that we always operate with a posture of that we truly believe that. In fact, Christians are bad to be placing their hope in all other sorts of outside things and praying to God to bless those outside things. It's not how God intended the church to work. God intended the church to listen to the Holy Spirit and do what the Holy Spirit told them to and just be amazed when God makes that work. I want, to note, want you to note, and I don't have time to take you through all of Acts this morning, but you know the book of Acts. Right off the bat, the, the, the early church grew. The Holy Spirit came. Peter preached. How many people joined the church? They baptized how many? 3,000 people. Praise the Lord. They got listed in the Southern Baptist Quarterly. That church in Jerusalem... The Lord's really doing something over there. <laughs> Lifeway had Peter come to a seminar. <laughs> I don't know who their worship leader was, but he got to sing at the convention that year. You'll find later that they grew as much as 6,000. We have that recorded. 
that this Jerusalem church, so many people were being impacted through the fire of the Holy Spirit that up to as many 6,000 people were accounted for in the early church. Some of you think it's sinful to keep numbers and, and know who's coming and who's not and how many we've, we've got in all of this. Well, the early church did. There was some organization to the early church. Somebody was counting. Peter was baptizing. He was getting tennis elbow. He's baptizing so many people. But somebody was standing next to Peter over there tick marking people off. Well, I'm going to tell you this growth is not what made this a church that turns the world upside down. In fact, as you read these first few books of first few chapters of Acts, this growth simply led to administrative problems. The bigger they got, the more complicated they got, the more complaining that there was. In fact, alongside some other obstacles, there were some things that God sent to them. But you'll find that the the bigger this church got, the, the poorer this church got, the more they were left in poverty. What was it then that made the church effective if it wasn't this local growth? It was the advancing growth. They began to send men out and say, you go to this town. They don't have a church. You go there and you you establish a church there. And then from there, people would would be in town and they'd say, oh, you should come to our town and establish a town. And one time they were in one town and somebody over in Macedonia was just praying. They didn't really know what they were praying for. They were just praying. And the Holy Spirit... Let them hear this person's prayer saying, please come to Macedonia. And there they went to Macedonia. And they just began to plant these small cells of churches just all over the place. You know, it's unique when they they did that. They didn't need an arena to have church in. They met in people's homes. I think had the Jews left them, they would have continued meeting in the temple. See, there's my church preservation in me. Got to have this established place. I like it. They didn't need these magnificent places. They didn't need these enormous places. Brother Scotty, you said at Highland Park one time you had to replace all the roofs. How much did just the roofing cost that year? Do you remember? Millions. Millions of dollars to replace the roofs. So much so that I think the pastor was so guilty that the money had been spent. They flew a helicopter over the top, took pictures to prove to everybody we did replace the roofs. The preacher didn't get a new swimming pool. (laughs) Growth through advancement it was what made the early church effective. They went from Jerusalem to Judea, etc. I would submit to you, church, and, and I've been preaching you this since day one. This is the model we must also pursue. Some of you can remember years ago, We had Sam and Mary Jones coming out of West Nashville. They lived over in the nations. Indiana Avenue, I think, if I've got that right. Sam had a little shed out beside his house, and he had church there on Wednesday mornings. And we would always say, that's our, we're a a multi-campus church. (laughs) That's what we would say. We had 38 people going here, and Sam had three people going there. But it was the biblical model. And we've always said, should we ever get too many people coming from West Nashville, then maybe the Lord will burden our hearts to just split up and some of us go there and some of us go here. Whoa, 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 whoa. We don't like that, do we? We need to preserve this. It's not the biblical model. The biblical model is for the church to be advancing. I was burdened. Really, last year was a time of reflection for me. We, the, Lord, the Lord saw fit for this building to be Destroyed. We met in the Bib Center for a while. Uh, it was neat to be there in the Bib Center. I enjoyed that. It, it reminded me that the, the church is the church despite the property. That was a neat thing, right? And then it was neat to see the different people who showed up to the Bib Center who won't come out here. Like, it was like just because we were across the county line. I knew people in South Cheatham County had a weird reputation. <laughs> I didn't know it was that bad. We went to our little church, moved over to White Bluff, and here came all these new people. <laughs> they sniffed us when they came in, but hey, they came. But it reminded me of this. It reminded me that that day may come. Are we prepared for that? Are we going to fight that? Are we just going to say, do you think gas prices are on the way down? I don't know if they're going to get below where they are now. I don't know. I'm no economist. I'm a preacher. My own opinion is it's going to get more expensive to drive more expensive to build, 
So what does the church do? Do we just kind of just hold up till the Lord returns? No. I think if, if we were that, this early church and that's what we decided to do, maybe send an angel down to say, you men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing? You know, in Revelation, John is told to write these letters and send them to the angels of the churches. Those are the pastors. The pro- it was the prophets in the Old Testament. It was the apostles in the early part of the New Testament. And then there was these elders who were put up over the churches. And they were the ones who communicate just like angels to the people. Now, I'm not saying I'm an angel. <laughs> i got a long way to go. But I am saying maybe it's, God is saying that to us this morning. We need to be a church that advances. The second thing we find is the early church prayed. So how did they know what to do? Where to go? What to say? Who should do what? Look at it. Verse 12. They returned, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. When they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode both Peter and James, John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotus, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. They, they didn't focus so much on who's in charge, what should we say, where should we go, what should we do. They just focused on praying. They had learned through Jesus' ministry, walking with him and being with him day in and day out, the great power of prayer. And I would say that primarily we should see that we should be a church advancing the Great Commission. The empowerment through this is the Holy Spirit. And how do we access that? How do we Utilize that. Well, we do it through praying. Ian Bounds should be a familiar name to you. He said, the life, power, and glory of the church is prayer. The life of its members is dependent on prayer, and the presence of God is secured and retained by prayer. The very place is made sacred by its ministry. Without it, the church is lifeless and powerless. I want you to notice a few things with me here in this text. First, it tells us here that they went to an upper room in verse 13. And when they were come in, they went into an upper room. And then verse 14, it goes on to say, and these with one accord continued. They devoted themselves to prayer and supplication. Just want to make a quick point to you. They had a place to gather and pray. We've established this place for that. The, the church corporately needs to have a place to gather and pray and needs to be praying together when they do this. And at times this will be in the the order of things. We started this morning with a a prayer of confession. It's Brother Preston led us in the call to worship and he prayed and asked the Lord to bless this service. Brother Scotty continued praying a pastoral prayer as he prayed for the, the, and and not, not always these things, but the pastoral prayer typically has, right? Prayer for the nation, prayer for the sick, prayer for the lost, prayer for the church and all of these things, right? We had a prayer of thanksgiving from Dr. Hartz. We're going to have a prayer of response later. We, we have these things. Wednesday nights, we come together. What do we do? We, we pray over actual requests. The members say, hey, I want you to pray for this. I want you to pray for that. Sometimes we have spontaneous prayer. Someone feels led to, to say a prayer for someone else or on their behalf. Or someone says, will you please pray for me? We even have times where we anoint with oil. They'll come forward. We'll anoint with oil and, and we'll pray for them. That's good. This should be our place of prayer together. In addition to that, you need a time and a place to pray privately. And this is the first of a new year, right? This is when you say, this is my new routine. This is what I'm going to do. This is my new diet. This is my new exercise. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to pray every day. I'm only going to do these things. I'm trying to do those things. Good. That's great. So I'm going to piggyback on that and just remind you, you need a private place to pray, a quiet place. A prayer closet. A place where you can't hear the phone ring. A place where you can't hear the text message ding. A place where even if you do hear it, you can't get to it. I noticed the other day, I, I kept feeling my phone vibrate in my pocket. I keep it in the left side pocket here in the front. And I, the first time I felt it, I reached to get it. And I was like, oh, my phone's on my desk. It's not here. A few minutes later, I felt it again. I think my muscles are, are tricking me. They're vibrating or something's out there. Or my 
I guess I'm, I've lost it. <laughs> We've become conditioned to these devices that control our lives. Well, I'm telling you, the busyness and the noise of that is, is wrecking your prayer life. You've got to put this stuff off. Turn off the TV, lock the front door. <laughs> Sound like a country song. Turn the lights down low, pull the blinds. <laughs> and pray. And then I think you need to have a prayer place and time with your family. We just do it over meals. It's easy to get four boys to come to the table to eat. <laughs> and we're not even legalistic. We let them go on and eat, and then we pray. Maybe you want to be mean and say, before we eat, we're going to pray. Man, that's rough. Did you have this through the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's? Did you have a family member that wanted to get all religious while your food was getting cold? Uh, shame on these people. It's a sin to eat your food cold. <laughs> eat it while it's hot. You can pray pray later that's rough isn't it they had a place to pray they prayed with one accord now I want you to notice as we read this that the one accord was not the action it's not the verb here it's the describer verse 14 they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren we've gotten this backwards in the modern church We're always working on unity. We're always working on one accord. I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. I want to make sure somebody doesn't have hurt feelings of me. Why? Because I don't want it to affect my prayer life and my worship. They've got that backwards in the church. Now, there are verses that tell you, if you have all against your brother, you know your brother has all against you, go and make it right because the Lord won't hear your prayer. I get it. But in the modern church, we've adopted the one accord as the action so that we can have the descriptor of unity. And the action is praying. See, here's this funny thing. If we're really praying in the spirit like we're supposed to be, guess what we will naturally have as a group? Unity. But if we're always trying to act in a certain way that we don't hurt anybody else's feelings, and if we're always trying to make sure we're not doing or going or thinking or, I don't know, anything that hurts other, bothers other people, then we're not actually having unity. We're having the appearance of unity. And guess what we've left off? The power of God behind it. God is not proud of our uniformity. In fact, God is not proud of our put on air of unity when it's powerless. What he's proud of is when we operate in the power of the Holy Spirit and we pray. And then the unity is the result of that. And you say, well, what if I do fail to have unity? Well, I promise you this. If you're prayed up in the spirit, guess what you will easily be able to do when you hurt a brother or sister? You'll humble yourselves. You'll repent. You'll make it right. And if they're prayed up in the spirit, they'll receive it. They'll be able to forgive you and it'll be right. But you know what happens year after year after year, generations of the church, they're working so hard. Well, we've got to have unity. Why? I don't want to do that because I might hurt the unity of the church. Then you put up walls. You get bitter. And you find yourself becoming a church preservationist. Because why do you want unity so bad? Because we like it like this and we don't want it to change. It's bothering some of you all that uh, we've been having meals in here and the carpet's getting stained. Anybody want to just testify to that? It's just, bu- it's just bugging you to death, isn't it? I'm picking, picking a little bit, but that's a good point to the problem. Who cares? You know why the carpet's getting stained? Because the place is getting used. Praise the Lord. Can carpet get replaced? Absolutely. We bought two extra boxes of it and we put this down so that it, when it got messed up, we could just put more down. And we know a good carpet cleaner. They continued praying. A good translation there is they were devoted to it. It says when they were coming in, they went to the upper room. Verse 14, these all continued one prayer or with one accord in prayer and supplication. This continued here. The wording carries the sense of staying nearby. You ever, you ever said about someone, boy, those two are just like this. You know, they're, they're close together, like a, a husband and his wife, a wife and her husband, a child with a, with a parent. They stay close to one another. They're devoted to one another in this way. Well, the early church was so consistently praying that Luke records this of them here in his, his record to Theophilus. They were devoted to this praying. 
Let me read you John Calvin on this. He says, Luke doth express two things which are proper to true prayer. Namely, that they did persist and that they were all of one mind. This was an exercise of their patience. And that Christ did make them stay a while when as he could straightway have sent the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought of that? I was reading Calvin this week and I thought, oh, I never thought about that. Why didn't he just send them the Holy Spirit there at the Mount of Olives? Or why didn't he just say, now go straight to Jerusalem and you'll get the Holy Spirit? I don't know the exact timing here, but they had to stay some time and just praying in this upper room, awaiting the Holy Spirit. Why? He was trying their patience. Calvin continues, so God doth oftentimes drive off and as it were, suffer us to languish that he may accustom us to persevere. I've been praying, but my prayers haven't been answered. God's trying to teach you how to persevere. The saints will persevere. The hastiness of our petitions is a corrupt, yea, a hurtful plague. Wherefore, it is no marvel if God do sometimes correct the same. Now, I don't want you to hear, and I don't think Mr. Calvin was trying to communicate, that the lengthiness of our prayers accomplishes more. Maybe sometimes it does, maybe sometimes it doesn't. In fact, I think sometimes the time spent in prayer where we're saying very little to nothing actually accomplishes more than we're saying a whole bunch. Maybe there are times we do need to say a whole bunch. Maybe you've been doing a lot of sinning. Maybe you've been doing a lot of thinking. Maybe you've been got all this on your brain and you just need to share it with the Lord. Well, that's fine. But sometimes it's as simple as this. You need help from the Lord. Guess what your prayer should be? Help, help Lord. Notice the focus of their praying. You ever thought about that? Verse 14 says, They all continued one accord in prayer and supplication. What did they pray for? What were they praying about? No, we're not told exactly, but we know two things. The book ends on each side of this. On the front side here, they are told, verse number eight, verse seven, he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times of the season which the Father put to his own power. Okay, so what is Jesus telling them already there? I'm going away. You want to know when I'm coming back. It's not for you to know that right now. Okay, so here's what you should know or want to know. Verse eight, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. All right. That's the thing to pray about then, isn't it? Give us this power. Put us to work. You told us this is what we're going to do until you return. We miss you already. You said this Holy Spirit was going to come. We want it. We want the Holy Ghost. I think that's what they were praying for. In fact, I'll prove myself with chapter 2. Go with me, chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now, the day of Pentecost it just means 50. Pentecost, 50. It was 50 days after. We have this feast. Okay? 50 days later, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Man. So, verse, the early part of chapter 1, they're told, Go and wait. This is what's going to happen. In the middle, we find them praying. What are they praying for? I think they're praying for the Holy Spirit to come. And then in chapter 2, as things kick off here, what happens? God answers their prayer and the Holy Spirit comes. Mm, it's great. What should, the early, what, what should we be doing? We should be advancing. Well, how? Preacher, you tell us to, to advance. Well, what should we do? Well, first thing we need to do is be praying in the Spirit. Let me distinguish for you there. We often just pray in the flesh. I was, I was trying to, to, put, to put language behind once, not in this passage, a different passage. It was, it's, in, uh, it's in Ephesians. We're studying through Ephesians. Uh, and um, no, it was 1 Corinthians. He says, praying always in the Spirit. And I said, what does that mean? I was reading Spurgeon, and Spurgeon says, well, I don't know exactly what that means. Very Spurgeonish way to, to explain things. But I know what it doesn't mean. It's, when you're not, it's not praying in the flesh. <laughs> it's one way to be sure you're praying in the Spirit, you're not praying in the flesh. But I think praying in the Spirit is two-way communing with God. Now certainly God speaks to us through His Word, but He also speaks 
to His people through His indwelt Holy Spirit. Now, what does this look like from person to person? You could actually hear Him. You could have a sense of Him. You could be led of Him. You could have confirmation from Him. I don't know. And I think our personalities often distinguish what that is. And I'm no specialist in this regard. But I know this. When often you're just praying and you're never hearing, you're praying, you're not getting answers, it's simply because we're praying in the flesh and not praying in the Spirit. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit of God has baptized you. He indwells you. And He will empower you to do God's will. But I don't think we're actually listening to what God's will is to be able to go and do God's will. Brother Thomas, where's the first place you went on the mission field? Costa Rica. Costa, how did you know to go to Costa Rica? Through influences and through knowledge. And uh, I studied to know the will of God. Yeah, the Lord led you. It's a good answer. Brother Hartzer, how did you decide I'm supposed to go to Eagle Heights Baptist Church? You're living in Kingston Springs, Tennessee, the greatest place on the earth. <laughs> She's questioning the Holy Spirit's leader, leadership in your life, huh? So you felt burdened for this church. I remember you came on a Wednesday night and said, hey, some things are happening there. We need to pray for this church. We prayed that it wouldn't happen, but it happened. And then you felt burdened and you had a peace. Lord, is this where you want me to? You had a peace to do this thing. I'm not talking Ouija board stuff. I'm just talking, you, you let the Holy Spirit guide you into all truth. That's what Jesus said He would come. He said, John 8's a good... i got to stop. I don't have time. Right. Read, read John 8. I think they were praying for the Spirit. Too often our prayers are in the flesh. They're, they're us telling God our limited plans and asking God to bless our limited plans. Now, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I've been... Uh, I've been planning to buy me a newer Suburban for a while. And I like my Suburban, but it's in 07. And I'm going to get me like an old uh, 14 maybe, you know, real new. And I've been praying to the Lord to lead me to all truth. <laughs> but these prices won't go down. I need them to go down. Come on, used car market. You with me there, Brother Preston? You looking for another Suburban too? Yeah, he's in the same boat. We started a club. <laughs> <laughs> I tell the Lord my plans. And I say, now please bless my plans. This is praying in the flesh. Now, is that wrong? It's not always wrong. No, no, no. I pray every single day, Lord, protect my kids. Protect them from the wiles of the devil. Now you can say, well, that's spiritual. That's Bible talk. Well, yes, it is. But I wouldn't say that's actually the Holy Spirit. In fact, if I would listen, the Holy Spirit might say to me, I'm going to send Henry to Africa. Put you in Africa, him. And then I, and then I might, I might be praying, Lord, prepare him for Africa, help him to know the languages easily, give him the knowledge he needs to be able to minister in Africa. In Ephesians chapter three, uh, chapter three, verse twenty, Paul remarks that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Blackaby says, refocus your prayers so that you come into His presence. And ask Him His plans. You're starting a new year today. Have you asked God what He wants you to do this year? Or have you just said, this is what I'm going to do this year? Now, I'm not trying to discourage you from resolutions. i got to lose some weight. That's a resolution. i got to work on this this year. So I must go put the notice out. Some of you who feed me so well, I need you to ease up a little bit. I love you and I appreciate it. Mm, it's so good. But we got to back off a little bit. Collar's tight. Actually, this one's not. I bought a larger shirt. This one feels pretty good. That was one solution. Get bigger clothes, right? Resolutions are okay. But here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Go home today or maybe during the time of response and say, Lord, what do you want from me this year? Then you ever thought maybe he wants you to quit your job? You say, well, I've got to pay the bills. You do. Who can pay your bills better? You or God? Now, I'm going I'm to quote you back to yourselves. I hate when my kids do this to me, but I'm gonna, my kids will say, but Dad, you said we're getting ice cream. 
I didn't know you were going to act like that in Walmart, so we're not getting ice cream now. I don't care what I said. You all said to me earlier, we believe that we have the solution to the world's problems right in here. We believe that our God can save the, fix the economy, whatever. We said all these things together. Y'all smiled. You amended it. That was 40 minutes ago. You thought he'll be done in 15 minutes. Let's just keep him happy. <laughs> God could pay your bills better than you can. Now, I don't mean go home and sit and do nothing and say, all right, preacher said, I'm going to let God pay my bills. Then your wife would kick you out. You ever thought maybe he's got a, a more blessed role for you in your career than what you have right now? Have you asked him? Wives, husband starts praying like this and acting like this. Some of you wives, you're home preservationists. You're not going to like it. I don't know if she'd be honest and say it, but my wife didn't like the move to Virginia from Georgia. Is that true? Okay, Aunt Redonna will say it. <laughs> she hated it. <laughs> I, I didn't want to go there either, but that's what I felt like the Lord wanted me to do. Move to Virginia. Now, why in the world God thought I had to go to Virginia to get to Nashville? I mean, he don't know about I-24, I guess. <laughs> Women, don't forget here, you're, you're mentioned. Look at verse 14. These all continue one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brother. Now, we, we stick pretty strongly here to a biblical hierarchical model. The man is to be in submission to Christ. The woman is to be in submission to the man who's in submission to Christ. This is how we operate. But ladies, that doesn't, that doesn't alleviate you from your personal relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that doesn't mean you aren't to be praying. That doesn't mean you're not going to have good thoughts and good ideas and things to do. You said amen, brother. You've got a wife that serves alongside you in ministry. It's important. Refocus your prayers so that you come into His presence. Ask Him His plans. Adjust your life so that He can accomplish them through you. This is only possible when you're praying in the Spirit. I think it's very curious how little instruction Jesus gave before leaving earth to the apostles about the church. Like how to organize it, who should lead, who should lead what, who should lead how often and when. His example was to pray and know the scriptures. The early church followed this example. They turned the world upside down because they were spirit filled and they communed with him for instruction. Often we see prayer as like, this is the thing I do when I'm doubting. That's not it. Prayer is not a sign of doubt. Prayer is a sign of our faith and a sure hope. We're exercising the most powerful thing that God has left us with to come boldly into his throne room and talk to him. Like the early church. Let's be instant in prayer and let's be continuing in prayer devoted therein. What should we be praying for? Well, primarily like them, let's be praying for an increase in his spirit. And that's the last thing. And I'll close right here. Chapter two, verses one through four. We just we just read that the early church advanced. The early church advanced through prayer. The early church advanced through prayer in the Holy Spirit. Now, to be baptized with the Spirit is to be born again. These are, these are some heavy doctrinal divides here that I'm going to go through real quickly. I can give you more information on this later, but I just want you to get where I'm coming from here. When you were born again, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. We're Baptists. We don't say baptized in the Spirit. We just say you were indwelled by the Holy Ghost, usually in Southern Baptist churches here. These followers of Christ were saved. I don't think they had to wait on Acts 2 to get saved. See, now we can, we can debate that one back and forth. Lucky and I will go down to Iron Skillet and we'll talk this thing through. We'll figure it out, right? But, but if they didn't need spirit baptism. This is what they were, that's not what they were waiting for. They needed the Holy Spirit to come and empower them for the ministry God had told them to do. And this Holy Spirit came and filled them and he empowered them. I think of it like this. Your stomach, and some of you are like, amen, brother. Your stomach needs to be filled with food to sustain your physical body. And it's, it's like 12 and you're getting hungry. Y'all sang forever this morning. Testified for an hour, good grief. What was I supposed to do? In the same sense, your spirit man has to have its belly, so to speak, 
filled to sustain you spiritually. With what? Primarily the Holy Spirit. Now, the Word, right? Don't neglect the Word in this. But how do we even know what the Word means and what it says? Through the Holy Spirit. Vance Havner, good, good for quotes often. He says, we are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. No matter what the church in Jerusalem set out to do, no matter their plans, their programs, their potential, until the Spirit of God came upon them, they would have accomplished little. In fact, until we submit ourselves to the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, we're going to spend our time doing the wrong things. We're going to criticize the world without offering solutions to the world. We think we have the solution. Are we offering the solution to the world or are we just criticizing the world for being sinners? You know why the world sins? Because they're sinners. It's what we should expect the world to do. It should never come out of a Christian's mouth. I can't believe what they're putting on TV these days. What we should, and I say that a lot. The commercials, just the commercials. What we should say is, this is exactly what I would expect from the world. And, 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 and it doesn't even have to be judgmental. It just needs to be, this is a realization. But we have the solution. And if we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can change this. Are we going to spend our time criticizing the world without offering solutions? And sadly, the church has come to this conforming to the world, trying to win them to us with no further help. If we convince them to come and sit in these chairs, what have we convinced them to? Come and sit in these chairs? But if we'll operate in prayer, according to the Word, and the Holy Spirit begins to do His work, we're going to notice a combustion in our lives that will spill over into what we call the gathering of the church. Things will be accomplished that we could never ask nor think. I want this. And I pray that you want this as well. The early church advanced. The early church prayed. The early church was spirit filled. And we must be the same as God's church in 2023. 2022 is behind us. Though I can still remember it like it was yesterday. The things we've done in the last 10 or 12 years, these are things in the past. We've got what's before us. What's it look like for you? What are you, what are you willing to do? How far are you willing to go? Let this be your response today. God, fill me with your spirit. From here, your prayer life will be ignited. And the advancement of the church will then become your desire. Despite all the rest. You, you'll, you'll still have your preferences. You'll still like things the way you like them. I sure do. But those won't be primary. Those will be secondary. Otherwise, we remain a church of dwellers. Sitting right here, awaiting Jesus' return. Praying, but praying powerlessly. Doing, but never advancing. Because we quench the Spirit instead of being fulfilled through the Spirit's ministry. Let's stand and pray.